Chapter four, section one of a defense of idealism by May Sinclair. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Expatriate in Bangor, Maine. Chapter four, some ultimate questions of metaphysics, section one. It will be remembered that we adopted Mr. McDougall's classification of metaphysical systems provisionally and with considerable reservations in order that he might do his own deadly work among them unhindered we have seen him do it we have seen how far he has justified the hypothesis of a self or soul as the unique ground of the unity of consciousness and we must admit that he has certainly delivered it from the worst assaults of the physiological psychologists he has done this apparently by demonstrating the principle of psychophysical reaction but this is by no means the end of the matter i think we may ask him at least four questions number one how without recourse to some metaphysical principle does he propose to maintain the unity of consciousness throughout the interactions number two how would he explain the soul's action in the construction of time and space number three what holds body and soul together number four what holds the multiplicity of souls together surely number one unless body and soul are one or aspects of an underlying reality which is one each interruption of either into the other's territory must be a break however slight of their respective unities and this whether the law does or does not hold good eternally that the cause must pass over into its effect interaction is interaction now whatever the unity of matter may be unity of consciousness is the unique arm of the animist take it from him and he is powerless mr mcdougall is aware of his danger and he tries to reduce the soul's action to something less than cause and more than correspondence but the danger is only masked and not removed once admit interaction with its resulting changes and not only is the powerful charm of parallelism broken but the animist himself is committed to the whole causal relation that relation is not like an unhappy love affair with the reciprocity all on one side it is not the simple affair of body as cause telescoping into soul and soul as cause telescoping back into body but each contributes to the effect this double relation of cause and effect alters the ensemble so profoundly that to talk any more of dualism is absurd even granted number two that each interaction is simultaneous and not successive the whole series of interactions constitutes a process a series in time if you presuppose a real time you are promptly landed in all the dilemmas which m bergson for one has shown to be inherent in that idea if the soul supplies as it were its own time then you have a psychic action covering the whole psychophysical performance in one very extensive and necessary relation and the same holds good of space what holds the high interacting parties body and soul together three this question follows from question one as long as they were parallel they could be considered as holding themselves together but as we have seen their unities are broken surely a system of interactions cries for a unity just as loudly as a system of states of consciousness 
as for the fourth and last question what holds the multiplicity of souls together since the souls interact on each other their system of interactions calls for unity i do not think that these questions can be set aside as frivolous they are perfectly legitimate problems arising out of the case and animism provides no solution of them when it comes to unities as on the animist's own showing it must and does come if the unity of consciousness only holds good within and of consciousness then physical unity if there be any will hold good within and of bodies or matter generally so that in the last resort and there must always be a last resort each unity will form a closed system and the animist must be numbered among the parallelists i do not see how without recourse to a metaphysical principle and a metaphysical unity he is to escape from the position it is clear that in that classification of systems which i have borrowed from mr mcdougall we are dealing with two things psychophysics which has no philosophic axe to grind and metaphysics neither animism nor psychophysical parallelism professes to give us a metaphysic or a metapsychic but only certain psychophysical postulates it should also be clear that however much we may wish to separate them we cannot as a matter of fact keep them apart if we are to go on with i won't say finish our thinking and i think it should be transparently clear that neither empirical nor a priori metaphysics can take up any impregnable position outside psychophysiology and will not advance very far or at any rate very safely as long as it ignores the psychophysical facts however radiantly honest this attitude may be but it may not have been equally clear that psychophysiology cannot keep itself unspotted by some metaphysic or other that is to say if it is to go on with its thinking it can and we have seen that it does voluntarily arrest its thinking on its own borders and refuse to take the metaphysical plunge but with the first step over and not even with the first step but with the first look with the affirmation that there is and with the affirmation that there is not a region beyond its border it is in only the non-committal attitude that acknowledges that there may be a region will save it from the plunge but if the psychophysiologist goes on thinking he is committed to a metaphysic for there is a lurking metaphysic in his most empirical conclusions and even in his non-committal attitude let us look back at the systems we considered they may be reduced to three types as far as body and soul are concerned number one monism the systems of the one number two parallelist dualism the systems of the two with or without assumption of an underlying one number three animism or the theory of the mixed to these as we leave the ground of psychophysics we shall have to add pluralism in its three forms of pragmatism humanism and the new realism which are all systems of the many of these the new realism is so new so revolutionary so dangerous to every form of monism we have considered hitherto that it calls for special treatment later on and in a place apart i have not insulted the animist by putting him among the parallel liners where i think if he finished his thinking he would have to go 
because he may quite honestly and legitimately decline to finish it but i have not followed mr mcdougall this time in putting objective idealism which is somewhat inadequately rendered by psychical monism among the parallelisms for i do not think this arrangement is fair to a philosophy which cuts the knot by maintaining with a stoutness verging on apoplexy that the world arises in consciousness that it exists in and through and for consciousness and that consciousness is the thing in itself which thus begins its thinking with consciousness as the totality of experience and finishes it there if we consider each one of these systems in turn we shall find that there is not one of them no not even the most non-committal that has not its own dilemma the dilemma of the out-and-out -out materialist is that he must either admit that consciousness does not come altogether into his net or he must break his own sacred law of the conservation of energy in any case if he says that psychic processes are an illusory by-product of physical processes he fails to show why they should be conscious processes the dilemma of the out-and-out -out subjective idealist or self-aloner is that he must either deny the existence of other consciousnesses and of things he is not conscious of and never could be or he must give up his fundamental hypothesis of his own solitary existence if he turns the materialist's position upside down and says that his ego produces the physical series as the illusory by-product of its own psychic series he fails to show why it should be at the pains of projecting any physical aspect of its psychic states why there should be an illusory appearance of a parallel at all if he says that there is no parallelism in only one series his own psychic states he fails to account for the existence of any consciousness other than the one he started with his own still less can he account for the order of physical things in antipsychic time for if there is no universe outside his private consciousness the universe that physical science shows us as existing previous to the appearance of his own consciousness is a retrospective illusion and the manifestations of his neighbor's consciousness are a past present and future illusion and his neighbor's consciousness itself with the universe it carries about in it is the illusory hypothesis of his thought worse still as he is not conscious of his own neural processes they also cannot be allowed to exist they exist for another consciousness that of the scientific observer is not existence in any consciousness it must therefore share the illusory quality of all that attaches to his neighbor and his neighbor's consciousness worst of all his own ego the self which should be at the bottom of the whole show to produce and maintain the system of illusions can have no existence either since it does not and cannot appear in its own consciousness the formula for this theory must be consciousness is just consciousness of nothing for nobody and it is nobody's consciousness so that the out-and-out self-aloner must either show reason why he should exist in this solitary and unsupported manner which he cannot do as he has no grounds to establish his self on except himself or he must acknowledge the existence of a world if it be a world of selves outside himself in which case he is no longer a self-aloner mr mcdougall has very clearly shown the sad plight of the parallelist 
his attitude has no intervals of repose the more strictly parallelist he is the more he denies interaction the more he has to keep jumping backwards and forwards from one of his lines to the other in which case he has to admit that there is a jumping-off place and a landing-place somewhere that is to say a common terra firma for thinking and acting on both lines his dilemma is like the materialist's he cannot keep his rules and his principle too the dilemma of the animist as i have tried to show is that without some higher unity to solder them his unity of consciousness and the unity of all physical things finally form closed systems of penultimates running parallel so that in the long run his long run he is landed in a dilemma as serious as any he has exposed either he must make the totals of psychic and of physical interactions equal and opposite an assumption which he has no grounds for in which case by the law of causation they will cease to be interactions and will form one action and one phenomenon or while insisting on partial interaction he must acknowledge a greater unknown second quantity of actions and phenomena running parallel in either case the unity of consciousness is broken there are dilemmas and dilemmas there are dilemmas inherent in the nature of a system such are the dilemmas of the materialist and idealist by-product theories there are dilemmas which are latent in a system of which the upholders of the systems are more or less aware such are the dilemmas of the strict parallelist and the animist wundt virtually abandoned his parallelism in his principle of the creative resultants you feel that mr mcdougall has either a monistic or a pluralistic solution up his sleeve if his conscience as a man of science would allow him to produce it and there are dilemmas which are much more apparent to the critics of a system than to its supporters such are the dilemmas of the imperfect parallelist or devotee of the underlying unknown and of the psychical monist or objective idealist i have left the dilemmas of these monists to the last because there are dilemmas and dilemmas and because since it must needs be that dilemmas come they seem rather less unbearable than any of the others the dilemma of the upholders of the underlying unknown and unknowable is that in order to prove that it is there at all they have to assume it to be knowable and indeed known inasmuch as it is the ground of its own aspects and appearances when you have said of your unknowable that it is underlying or that it is substance or the only reality or the thing in itself you have already dragged it in the net of knowledge when you have added that it is infinite or absolute you have to all intents and purposes caught it and made it the object of your thinking the one thing you absolutely don't know about is whether it does or does not exist you cannot predicate of it that reality which was the raison d'etre of your affirming it at all either you must give up its reality by virtue of which you declared it to be unknown and unknowable in which case your monism has the bottom knocked out of it and you are left with the dual aspects on your hands or declaring it to be the only real you give up its unknowableness and by defining it have brought it in under that aspect and manifestation which is thought End of chapter 4, section 1. Recording by Expatriate in Bangor, Maine.